Welcome to Delivered as Promise, a podcast focused on land development industry and leadership. Graham and I are joined by a special guest, uh, George Agriajanis from Wholesome. He's the Chief Executive Officer for Wholesome Australia and New Zealand. Welcome, George. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, George. Pleasure. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about Wholesome, your career, your insights on yeah, how the economy is performing, construction industry challenges ahead, tips for those in the industry, you know, where do they want to head, advice for you know, people probably younger in their career, you know, tips as a for personal life and business, you know, aspiring. Just we'll, we'll see where the conversation leads us. I hope you brought some notes with you, George. That's a lot of questions. Well done, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, good. I'm getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> George, why don't you t- tell us a quick snippet about yourself sure i'm uh, married to a, a lovely lady named grace we have two children julian and sebastian mm-hmm. uh, they're 14 and 12 and in terms of a bit of background um i uh, was born in adelaide grew up in sydney went to a public school in ashfield called ashfield boys high school um paying 50 dollars a year as school tuition which is very different <laughs> these days um but but it was it wasn't a choice back then we effectively went to the school that was closest to home um Working class background, father's a bricklayer. My mum worked in various factories in and around the area. An older brother. And what we learned a lot of from our parents particularly was a, a strong work ethic. Um, and our parents, um, I guess, mission, ambition, depending on how you want to put it, was for their children to be able to get an education and see education as a way to get out of the the physical labour that they were enduring or had to endure. Um so that was, that was how we effectively, both my brother and I ended up going on to university and studying civil engineering, and which was, which was great. Where, I actually, where did you study that? I went to New South Wales Uni oh, and yeah. my brother went to Sydney University. He's four years older than I and he works in the precast industry okay. um, in a construction sort of background as well. Um, and when I finished university, I wasn't so sure what I was going to be doing. Um, even though I studied engineering and I enjoyed engineering, mm. um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a structural engineer, which mm. is sort of what you assume you're going to be. I knew that I wanted to be more involved with people and doing something a little bit different. Opportunity presented itself and I joined at that stage an organization. They were known as Pioneer Concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in the days where you picked up the paper on a Saturday morning, um, saw a job advert and talking about moving across different states and the like. Um, And I thought that sounds really interesting. So I applied for the role, went through a number of interviews and was successful. Um, That was 25 years ago now. So I've been in the industry for 25 years. First day, went to work with a suit and tie because I wasn't sure what I would be doing. And I was told you won't need the tie and you probably won't need the jacket. Um, (laughs) Out you go, you're out to Thornley Concrete Plant and and the story progresses. So it was a, a really interesting chapter for me. I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but as soon as I got into the industry, and started getting involved with the people particularly, working with drivers, our batches, people with a lot of experience, lots of different backgrounds. I loved it um, and continued to progress through the business. And that, and that was really what sort of kept me in the industry. It's that um, instantaneous, high-intensity, live product. Um, the only comparable sort of industry would be working in um, food and beverage, I guess, where there's perishable products. Well, concrete is also a perishable product, so you yes. have a different intensity. So. That was great. So as I say, and moved in and around the country as well with um, with Pioneer or with Hanson as they became. Um, How was long there. was that with him? Um, I was there for 15 years with Hanson. Wow. Um, and uh, we were living in Western Australia during the the boom times and I was with Hanson at effectively the 15-year mark. 
Um, we had two very young children at that point in time. So my youngest was, when we moved there, was six months old mm -hmm. and the oldest was two and a half. No family, no support um, in terms of family support, that is. Mm. And, and we were there for two and a half years. And I had an unwritten agreement with my wife that when the boys were at school age, that we would move back closer to home, back into Sydney, and that I wanted my kids to have a stable educational path. Um, I changed as a young kid five different primary schools. As I said earlier, my father was a bricklayer and our way to get ahead and family um, was to buy a house, fix it up, sell it and move on. Mm. And that's what yes. we did. So yep. in doing that, we went to five different primary schools or I certainly right. did, wow. um, which at the time was challenging. But on reflection, I think that's what made me um, able to adapt to change a little bit more readily. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think people shouldn't fear change or challenge and see it as an opportunity to grow. Yep. Um, but you've got to have the right support. And I, I think I've adopted that same philosophy from a work perspective as well. So as I say, I was um, with Hanson for 15 years. We were living in Western Australia. I happened to be over in the US on a tender for a large project in Western Australia. Um, and we were in Houston. And I had a phone call from somebody that I had worked with um, who was consulting for another organization called Adelaide Brighton Cement at the time. And, uh, and they were looking for somebody to head up their concrete and aggregates division. And this guy um, said, he goes, look, I've told them that you're too loyal for your own good, but it'd be remiss of me not to ask the question, would you be interested in doing something different, right? Or changing organizations? And I said, well, as luck would have it, I'm sitting at LAX at the moment. My family's in Perth. The time is probably about right, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so I said, yes, look, I would be interested. Coordinated the meeting within a week or so. Job was effectively offered. I went in there with a resume. They'd clearly done their homework. They knew who I was. Um, and at the risk of sounding cocky or arrogant, they knew what I had done in my career thus far. I knew who they were, um, and it was a really good marriage. So the CEO interviewed me, a gentleman by the name of Mark Chalou. We did the deal. He signed the contract. He said, I'm committed. Are you committed? And, uh, and I said, look, subject to the legalities of the contract, we've done a deal, right? So my word is my bond, right? So I would never back out of a contract, whether it's signed or not, a deal is a deal. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, and I joined Adelaide Brighton. Um, that was probably the most um, progressive part of my career. So you, you underestimate what you learn when you're in a role or in an organization for 15 years. You don't really, I guess you don't have an opportunity to recognize what you have learned and developed over that period of time until you're put into a different situation. Um, and that's what I found when I went to Adelaide Brighton. So I was running their high-tech brand or okay. business. Yep. Concrete and aggregates. We acquired six different businesses while I was there. Wow. It was a great opportunity. I learned a lot. I was really fortunate to build my own team. And that was probably the toughest thing for me when this opportunity for me to join Wholesome came along just two and a half odd years ago now, um, was me leaving an organization where I had built up the team. Similar to when I left Hanson, I wasn't glad that I left Hanson, but I was really glad I joined Adelaide Brighton. Mm -hmm. The same sort of scenario plays out now. I'm not glad that I left Adelaide Brighton. They were a family for me. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's really important in an organization that people recognize that you build really good relationships and people work for people. Um, so I was sad to leave and I felt really terrible leaving and it really hits you as you're walking out the door, right? But um, equally, it's an opportunity for me to foster and build that sort of culture where I've come now. And, and it's been great. So it's been just over two years. Um, as we know, sort of, you know, What's that about 14, 15 months ago, COVID came into mm -hmm. play, which which rattles things a little bit. It's been certainly a, a challenge for as, all of us. How would you rate COVID in March as a challenge in your career? 
probably the most significant challenge because of the uncertainty and what it would mean for the people that work for us. Um, so uh, we were we were running through scenarios of complete lockdown, partial lockdown, um, reduction in demand. So we were operating at 0% revenue to 50, 70, 80, 100%. Um, and as as you mentioned, I look after Australia and New Zealand. In Australia, we were fortunate that we didn't actually go down to any complete lockdowns other than in Victoria for a few days um, and in, in Adelaide as well for a few days. But in New Zealand, we had a complete lockdown. So wow. we went from full six, production. Six plus weeks or something? Right? Yeah, it was. Mm. Um, it was it was really tough, right? So we went from complete production to effectively zero. So maybe about three percent revenue because there were some government infrastructure projects that couldn't stop. Yeah, um, we've predominantly got a cement business in New Zealand, mm. um, but it was it was really tough. It was really tough on all of our people. We were able to support people through it, and government subsidies assisted in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the very fact that people were cut down, and and as we know, a lot of our workers and colleagues operate with overtime as well when there's no overtime that does have an impact on people's lives. a huge lives. impact. And that's that's the bit and I guess you know it's a positive and a negative. Um I do think about those things and that was weighing on me personally a lot yeah. is that the decisions that we make sitting in a corporate environment impact people on the ground and their families and yeah. and I think when we if we don't have that connection in our day-to-day jobs there's a real risk of losing you can what really we're all about, right? You can I really mean, lose touch with that. I you mean, really can, yeah. you know, and it's and that that's a concern. And as I say, I guess you carry that burden personally. There is an art to trying to find ways to not have that weighing on you all the time because it can affect you. Um, but I think you need to have a bit of a balance, and and it, I think it does need to affect you to some degree. Otherwise, you, you don't make the right decisions, or you may not make the right decisions. Correct. I think um, your background, uh, family background, definitely gives you a really good understanding of the work working class of the impact of lack of overtime, lack of uncertainty, all those things that really impact a pay packet that those on salaried and, you know, white collar workforce can't, don't, don't understand Absolutely. what that impact does. And, and look, that was our challenge in the early days of COVID as well. So we had a number of people that were working in office environments that um, were saying, look, our friends that work for the big accounting firms or the big legal fraternities, they're all working from home. They're doing these jobs from home. You don't care about our health and safety. Um, we we made a very uh, conscious decision to follow government advice in terms of if if we're told that we it is not safe for us to be in an office environment, then we will work from home. Mm. Um, and the reason I I made that decision, and that was where I stepped away from the team and made the call, like a captain's call, so to speak, is that you can't create this us and them environment. Our our Drivers, you we couldn't can't have your drivers and quarry operators at work and everyone at office sitting Absolutely, at home. right? So we can't produce precast products. We can't produce concrete and deliver yeah. concrete or quarry materials, et cetera, from home. So if it's safe for them to do it or if we can create a safe environment for them, then we should be able to create a safe environment for others working yep. in an and office. And that was the same approach for us, wasn't it, Graham? Yeah, very much so. I think that we, we tried to make sure we were transparent with the whole workforce, how we were going. And, um, you know, we had... Even in the quieter times, we uh, cooler period. Sorry, we had a number of s- meetings here held outside on the barbecue tables yep. to make sure that open air was. You know, we say it on site to people. We had to believe the same mm. thing here. We split people up to work from home part of the time as necessary. But I think you said the right thing there, George. We we also followed. We were very strong on following government advice yep. and following the the right lead leadership in uh, making sure that we could move forward together. 
You, you guys spoke about the, the differences between this challenge compared to earlier um, financial challenges yep. and things. I, I agree this has been the greatest because there's so much emotional um, issues in this. And uh, we're also seeing the, the greater degree of um, tragedy around the world compared to Australia. And, you know, we, we all know that we've got a more fortuitous position out of this compared to others. I think that has created all those sort of factors have created a lot more strain on our our communities, whether it's the work one or the family one, the whole thing. The positions you talk about there and the way you lead, how many people in the Wholesome family altogether for Australia New Zealand for you? Uh, 3,700 people, roughly. 3,700. Well, that's a lot of people and a lot of families and a lot of extensions. A lot of mouths. Yeah, to, to, it, it to, to try and give some good guidance to. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's coming through pretty well from my discussions with your teams and things. The question I'd ask of you, maybe you guys want to have a chat about this, the things you've learned along the way, and I, I know your journey well, George. That's uh, the way you portrayed is, is is very strong and real. What about what you've learned? Have you learned some of your leadership skills and attributes along the way? Who from or how? Or yep. what's some advice on that? Um, so a number of things, right? So I, I think that um, an important thing for somebody coming through their career is to find opportunities to work with different people, different styles, mm. different backgrounds. Um, all, you know, when we talk about diversity and in terms of diversity in terms of recruitment, it's the same in terms of diversity in terms of the people that you're working with and for. Um, I, I think I've learned just as much from poor leaders as I have from good leaders yep. um, over the years. In some cases, sometimes more because I know what I don't want to do. Correct. Um, and, and that's been really interesting. You need to challenge yourself to learn from people what to do, but yeah. also what not to do. Absolutely. And the benefit of growing through the business is you get different perspectives of mm. different people and how decisions are made. So I was really fortunate to, to you know end up working at a concrete plant. So in the first two weeks of my career, um, I took over from a plant manager that unfortunately lost their job suddenly. Um, and I was parachuted in. So I knew very little about concrete, um, as in two weeks' knowledge of concrete, <laughs> other than what I learned at university, which was minimal. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to learn really quickly. So if you go into that environment, and we talk about leadership, and I think leadership is about knowing when to ask for help and when, you know, and, and it's showing that degree of vulnerability. Um, if I went into that environment really cocky, I know what I'm doing. I've got a degree type approach. Um, <laughs> I would have been found out really, really quickly. Yeah, it would have sunk like a lead balloon. Absolutely. Right? Mm. So you grab a shovel, you grab a broom, you help the guys out in the plant, you do what you need to do. And I learned as much from the batcher at Liverpool Concrete Plant, a gentleman by the name of Tommy Mills, 72-year-old man, fittest person I think I've ever met, used to be a cane cutter. Um, I learned more in a month and a half or two months with him than I have pretty much from anybody else in, in mm. the organization, right? Mm. So it's interesting where you get your best lessons, right? It doesn't necessarily come from the CEO or come from somebody in a leadership and development type role in an organization. It comes from the shop floor just as many times. But as I say, I think having progressed through the organization, you get different perspective on how decisions are made and how decisions are perceived at the different levels in the organization. And I mm. think that's really important. So I learned a lot in terms of leadership sure. just by observing, listening, seeing, doing. But I was also fortunate enough to get sent on various leadership programs, right, both locally and overseas. So with Hanson, I was sent on a program that um, included Lancaster University in the UK. Um, we went to Bangalore Institute of Management in India and at McGill University in Montreal in Canada. Um, and that was a six-month program, two-week stints in each of those universities with lots of work in between. And they were intentionally designed to put you out of your comfort zone. So, mm. you know, 
Um, growing up in Australia, we really don't know what life's like in Bangalore and India. So we were living in that sort of environment, Wow, really challenging. But you know what? People were happy and they were happy with what they have. So it puts a lot into perspective. Okay, The so resilience there would be very high. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was, it was one of the best life experiences I've ever had. And I strongly encourage and I will take my kids at the appropriate time across there, probably not as a family, but through school so that they're out right outside their comfort zone. They don't have that safety blanket of mum and dad taking them around somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, and then I've also further to that, when I was at Adelaide Brighton, I had the opportunity to go to Stanford University as well. Uh-huh. Now, the good thing about both the programs that I went on is that it weren't, it wasn't just people from this industry, from construction materials or construction. Mm. They were people from all sorts of backgrounds. Yep. And the one lesson I really got that resonates with me is that it doesn't matter what you do, what product you're producing or service you're providing, the challenges are all the same. It's all people. It is all about people, <laughs> right? Every service, every good, every product, it's all people. It is all about it. people. Does it sometimes all be about the customer even? But that's <laughs> that. It's all about people, right? Yeah, so, no, so I'm a, I'm you, only, you're a hundred percent right there, right? Exactly. It's just With, without customers, we don't have a business, right? Yep. And and when people forget that, um, and again, it doesn't matter what role we're in. When people say to me, "What do you do?" or "What?" I'm in sales. I've I've, I've from day dot, mm. we are selling a product. Whether you're a batcher, a driver, a quarry worker, a precaster, producing Absolutely. pipes at the Humes mm. facility, or yep. the CEO, yep. we're all in sales, right? It doesn't matter how good a process, procedure, policy, anything is in your business. If you don't have a sale, you don't have a business. We, we often talk about you know health and safety is a dominant topic in what we do, and clearly, right? We operate in a, when I say a dangerous environment, a high-risk environment, but mm. with the right systems and processes, we mitigate those risks, okay? Yep. So if there's anything that keeps me up at night, it's around health and safety and mm. what we do to ensure we keep our people safe, right? And when it comes to driving vehicles, it's all about that chain of responsibility. So I'm coming mm. back to your customer point, right, Graham, is that chain of responsibility for me is very similar in terms of everybody plays a role in delivering our product safely. It's the same from a customer perspective, whether you're in accounts payable, accounts receivable, procurement, whatever function you are in, you are part of the chain to deliver the end product to our customer, to invoice it correctly, to have it delivered on time, the right quality, et cetera, right? So everybody plays a role. It's not just the sales team per se, mm, right? Mm. So I, and I think that's really important to understand uh, and no, it sometimes I, gets forgotten. Right? I, I look, I think in all organisations it can get forgotten, but that's the fun, fundamental that pulls it all together. And, Absolutely. you know, uh, the sale, you're all on the sales team and to, to achieve a sale you've got to make sure you've got a customer, you know, someone who actually will, will believe mm. and move forward with you and then you've all got to, then honour the commitment, whatever that is. Yep. And that that's, Mike, that's what we sort of come back to a lot of the time when we're talking to our people too. That Well, our, our motto is just delivered as promise. You know, we make a promise to a customer or Absolutely. a supplier or a subcontractor or anyone, whatever that promise is, whether it's a time, a cost, a deliverable, that's got to be Yeah, you've honored. got to keep that front of keep mind as word. much as you can. A- to absolutely. And, and that, you know, it's funny you say that. So I worked for um, one of the strongest leaders that I've worked with or for and and directly and indirectly was a gentleman by the name of Les Cadzo who's has been in the industry a long time retired now and that was one of the first lessons right it was you know I was pretty young right very green and he was like if you've given a commitment even if it costs the organization a million dollars for example this is back in the Hanson days 
it is a commitment, right? And the company stands behind you to honor that commitment. He goes, we don't want you to make that error two and three and four times, mm. but <laughs> but we'll back you, right? And, and that's the thing. Do you want right? to make it once today while you're with us? <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> right, we won't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> But but this is the thing, you know, and I think you know, and again, you know, life lessons and 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 a lot of professional life and personal life, they're, they're they're relatable lessons that you learn. And for me, it's about making sure that people are given the opportunity to grow. I've grown the most when I've been pushed out of my comfort zone. When I've been you know pushed into that deep end, we we often talk about that. I was in that first two weeks. I was in the deep end. I thought I was going to drown, but. My then boss, a guy named Graham Stark, would ring me every day and make sure I was okay mm. and if I needed any help, right? It was it, that that gave me the confidence, right? I was comfortable. I had earned the respect of the drivers on site, the batches on site. They were there to make me look good, mm. right? To help me yeah. because I was working with them. I would sit back on a Friday afternoon and join them for a beer at the beer fridge that we had at the old Liverpool Concrete plant, yeah. right? Yep. 25 years ago, right? Mm. Very different today. Rightly or wrongly, it is very different today in that way. But that's how relationships get built. They knew the person behind the role, not the role. Mm-hmm. And I've never stood behind my role. So I, I don't like to be introduced as George is my boss or George is this. I, I just, I, I, I don't. You just want to be known as George. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, rightly, wrongly, we'll I, I hope my, my position hasn't changed who I am as a person and I'm I'm quite conscious of that, and um, and sometimes it needs to. Like in certain environments, you do need to be the CEO, and I respect that, and I mm. do that. Um, but I don't think of myself as the CEO in a lot of environments. I think that you know behind what you're saying there, George, is really a lot of the things that we all do are really quite simple. And if we stick to the basic values of what we believe, that's a pretty good way to go about mm. business, yep. and you know maybe influence the the people that work with us and around us. And that um, might pick up good points, bad points from us, yeah. and, and learn themselves as they go. A lot of times, quite simple. I think we it's we, not, we it, overreach it sometimes. I think too. Right, we, we do. We overcomplicate it, right? So you know, we often say that we've made producing you know rocks, sand, concrete, and precast products, which are you know reasonably simple things to do hmm. if you know what you're doing, right? Yep. Um, really complicated over the years, but um, look, legislation um, standards. Etc. have driven us down a particular path and there's no secrets, right? When we started as an organization, so Wholesome as an entity, as various iterations of brand has been around for well over a hundred years. A lot of the change that we've gone through has absolutely been beneficial, right? We were hurting people and that's not okay. Mm. Um, and as an industry, we all hurt people back in the day, right? We still do hurt people a lot less than we were before. And we're really, really conscious of that. We've engineered out a lot of inefficiency in our business in an opportunity for people to put themselves in harm's way. But it is around driving that culture where people are looking out for one another. We have a, you know, we, we keep each other safe initiative in our organization where we really emphasize the fact that if you see somebody doing the right thing or the wrong thing, mm. make sure you say something about yeah. it, right? You don't want to be that person that walked past an unsafe act and then something did happen. A personal reflection, I was walking the dog just about two years ago. And there was this gargantuan guy who had broken down and he was wearing a lanyard around his neck and his motor was running in his car. He had popped up the hood and he's leaning in to check something in his car. And I thought, geez, do I say something? Right? Anyway, I'm reflecting, you better say something. If that gets caught, this guy's in trouble. So I tapped this guy and I said, excuse me, mate. It was like very aggressive. What is it? I said, mate, um, that lanyard, it 
doesn't look so safe, right? That fan's going, there's a good chance he goes, mate, I really appreciate that. Thank mm. you so much. And I'm thinking, geez, well, one of them end up with a Man, punch in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? And, and it's really important that you do that, right? And another quick story, actually, just on that. I was um, sitting at a set of lights and there was this gentleman who clearly was on at home on his own with his youngest child, a little baby. And he had one of those baby beyond type things, but he had it was a different version. It was on his back. And, uh, and this guy had all the right gear. He was cutting the grass, right, using the whippersnipper. And he had his safety goggles on, his earmuffs on, and he's cutting everything. And here's this two-year-old hanging over the top of his shoulder. No glasses, no earphones, right? So I, I, you know, I pressed the horn. I said, mate, well done with the safety gear, but what about your kid? And he's like, oh, my God, like I hadn't realized, right? So, again, thank you. you know. But it's little things like that, and I think if we continue that – and. I, and this is the part about professional life and personal life. We learn a lot about safety at work. One of the things that I don't like that we were first being told about safety is, you know, when you come into work in the morning and when you leave in the afternoon, it's make sure you keep yourself safe at work. Mm. If we have to consciously think about being safe at work, then I don't think we've met the brief, right? People yep. need to be doing risk safe assessments in, in everything they do. Right? True. Yeah, really important. So how has your relationship with WEM started and finished or We'll, we'll finish or I don't know how you want to describe it. Um, so it started actually before I started with Wholesome. So I've been familiar for a very long time, right? Um, it was actually about three to four months before I officially started um, with Wholesome because um, I was on gardening leave and it was very secretive about where I was going. And then as soon as it was announced, it might have even been before it was announced, Graham. I think yeah. you reached out to me and said, um, so um, I hear you're going to be the new CEO. Yep. Um, it's probably good for us to actually catch up. Um, and that was the first contact I had from a customer of Wholesome. So credit to Graham, he was on the ball. And and we had some dialogue back and forth via uh, LinkedIn. Um, it was LinkedIn, not Instagram, but via LinkedIn. Yep. And, uh, and then after that, um, very early on, so I, I made a really uh, a conscious decision that I went out and met as many customers as I possibly could in our business with our people early on. As luck would have it, there's other relationships. So, you know, some of your customers are people that I know as well. So it's, it's funny how small the industry is, right? You don't have to go too far. It's a big industry in terms of dollars and spend. Yes. But in terms of people, it's very small. People move around and people they, know they, each other. They absolutely do, right? And, and you know, the agile thing, you know, never burn a bridge and, uh, and make sure that you maintain relationships. Mm. It's extremely important, right? Because things change very quickly, you know? Look, there's always going to be challenges. My view is and always has been you see the true colors of a supplier or a customer when things aren't going right, mm -hmm. okay? Everybody's great when things are going well. We're all making money. We're all doing well. Everything's going along swimmingly. That's fine, right? It's all good. It's when things don't go so well. And you know what? Things when there's don't a mistake, right. when there's an issue, when there's – that's it, that goes, right? and, and you, 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 got, need, to you know, need to be you can there. Trust people. That's right. You know, like Graham needs to know that he can pick up the phone and ring me when mm. he needs me. Right? Graham won't ring me if he doesn't need to ring me. Right? Mm. In, in terms of an issue or a concern, and yeah. and I respect that. And equally, I will always respond. Right? So I've always had this philosophy: if I have a message, I respond on the day that I've got the message. Right? There yeah. is nothing that's more important than getting back. And if it's late, just at least SMS back saying, got your message. Is it okay for me to call at 10 o'clock or can I call you tomorrow? Mm. Um, so maintaining that contact. Um, so I think it's it's building on the relationship. And, and in some cases, and in a lot of cases, actually, the strongest relationships that I've formed with customers in our industry have been on the back of issues, yep. on the back of something that didn't go so right, right? Um, because it's the way that you respond. It's how you solve the problem, how you work together. And and knowing that people aren't there to profit out of a problem. 
right? Mm. And I think that's an important thing to understand is that, look, we just want to get through this. It's about our customer as well, as in your customer and and you guys as our customer, right? Keep you whole. We, we agree with that principle. I think that the, um, the strength of our business's relationship and plenty that we enjoy are just how we all recover. Yeah. As you said, when when everyone's just sailing along smooth, well, you, you you worry about your own journey and maybe your customer, but not everyone around you. It's really when the prickly things occur that people respond, and and they're the people you remember. Yeah, they're the people that you say thank you to, and you grow with, and all those sorts of things. And um, the companies you're involved with and own right across the business, we've had long associations with, and they're such an important part of our business mm. as partners. Oh, without definitely in construction, it's all about your supply chain. You've got to have a good uh, network of people and partners that you trust that you know you're going to get things delivered on time at the right quality safely so that we can you know perform for our customers in the right manner and you know just having that open dialogue between all parties really helps and you know, yeah trust i think is paramount in any business relationship absolutely right and, mm. and it's it's really getting back to things you said near the start of the discussion of what you learned early on in your career and it's just about the people thing and you have to get out and sweep the floor you have to shovel some of the time. You know, if you're telling that guy too much how to do his shoveling, he just hands you the shovel. Mm-hmm. You have a go. <laughs> yeah. so it must be easy. Yeah. Over you go. <laughs> have a run. Yeah. So, um, oh, look, all the wide businesses you guys are involved with through all the construction materials, et cetera, and the narrow field we're in are just people industries because the rest of it is not that important. You know, it's it's we're not in a hospital. Mm-hmm. We're not doing it's those not sorts of things. No, it's not no, no. saving lives. We're just... We're putting some roads in. No, and that's the thing, right? Outside of health and safety, right, there is nothing that can't be solved, mm. right? The sun's still going to go down in the evening and it's going to yeah. come up tomorrow morning. Mm. And when you start building a mindset around that, right, that it's not the end of the world. Early in my career, I would lose a lot of sleep over silly things, right? Mm. I, I would, you know, and I'd get quite anxious isn't the right word, but but I guess it would have been a form of anxiety in terms of concern about a particular issue or problem. Um, the reality is it gets fixed, right? Yep. You've you got to address it. And and one thing you learn really quickly with regard to concrete particularly is problems don't go away, right? So address it and address it quickly and it is far cheaper and more effective outcome to do it quickly, right? Thinking that it's going to be okay and she'll be right is not the right Dreaming approach. Dreaming about it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I think, I think I'll get a little tape of that one just in case anything <laughs> ever goes wrong with concrete. Not that it ever has. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Things go wrong and people have got to solve it. But we agree. And, get on with it. Get and, on with it and just move forward. You know, whether you're hard. wholesome or whim, defects do occur. The sooner you fix the thing, the, yeah, the faster it can be done, the cheaper it can be done, the better, the better to your reputation. Yeah, if you absolutely. leave it, it just becomes worse and worse and worse and the customer becomes more involved and they're upset and you're tarnishing your reputation. you just got to bite the bullet and fix it. And That's right. Because- and then you're just competing on price, right? So if you're not that organisation that people want to do business with, that want to work with you, that know that you're going to address their concerns, be responsive, be innovative, um, you know, we're going through this cycle at the moment, and, and I say at the moment, it's a global thing, right, clearly. Um, but Lafarge Wholesome has really adopted this view of, you know, changing the way the built environment is being built, right, um, to ensure that we are, you know, we t- use the term greener, um, but it's about the circular economy, finding innovative ways. We've got one of the largest research facilities in the world in Lyon, all around construction materials, right? So we're, you know, 3D printing houses in Africa at the moment. Wow. I, it's just astonishing stuff that's happening, right? And how much of that we can bring back into Australia. What can we do more of in Australia? Um, we've launched other green products, our eco pack products in terms of concrete and for Humes as well. Um, 
you know, more sustainable solutions. And I think they're the sorts of organizations that you want to be a part of. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about some. Um, so the first meeting I had in Wholesome when I joined was with a new pod of graduates, a group of graduates that had just started. The first question I was asked from a graduate was around what are we doing in relation to sustainability as an organization? And I'm thinking, when I started 25 years ago, that was the last thing I thought you about. Probably didn't even think about right? it, not like my last. But it was the first question that wow. was asked, right? Yeah. And and that gives you an idea of how important it is. And it clearly is, right? I mean, whether you believe or don't believe, that's a personal opinion for, for others. But the reality is we are and need to be on board and we're doing what we can as an organization to provide those solutions for our customers um, and sometimes solutions that customers haven't even thought of just yet, right? So that's what we're on that. that and I say cutting edge, we really are. So Jan Yenish is our, our global CEO. He is super passionate about this. Um, and it's an infectious passion, right? I, I equally share that passion. It is really important. We've got to think about the next generation, the generation after that, about what we're doing and how we're doing. Um, and I think we're doing a much better job of that, right? So back in the day, You'd exhaust a quarry, it might become a, a landfill site or something along those lines. Now, in terms of the rehabilitation that's being done, for those of us that live in Greater Sydney, go out to Penrith Lakes and see what was a one of the largest quarry sites in the country um, and the rehabilitation that's been done there. You wouldn't know that there was a quarry there. It's mm, it's no absolutely incredible. Right? Mm. Um, and we don't celebrate those things well enough. You know? And mm. I, I just think that as an industry, we need to be far more progressive we need to be thinking about the future and we need to celebrate our successes. 25 years ago, you wouldn't even put a sign on the front gate to say that there was a concrete plant or a quarry. You just wanted to hide behind the fence. Nowadays, um, you've got to be very proud about what mm. you do and be very aware that you know everybody's got a camera, everybody's got a phone, and mm. we have a social responsibility and it's that social license to be able to operate. And, and I think that's really important to understand. Yeah. So what do you see as the challenges for Wholesome for next year? Um, for us, it's, it's meeting demand. I think um, we're, we're all facing the challenges, as I understand it, and certainly, um, as mentioned, so we've got the business in New Zealand as well. And it's interestingly, it's a challenge for both Australia and New Zealand is around finding people, mm -hmm. full stop. Yep. Um, skilled and unskilled labour is is becoming more and more scarce. So that's that's probably our biggest challenge in the short term. I think in terms of the work that's available for us in the next 12 months, at least, probably 18 months, it, it's certainly there. There's a strong pipeline. It's about having the people and the ability to meet that demand is going to be our biggest challenge. And I think more broadly, I think as a as as Australia and New Zealand, for what it's worth, it's it's understanding how we open up our borders, what we do to actually attract um, people back into Australia and New mm. Zealand. So we're very safe, and we've done a very good job through COVID. It's now looking a little bit further afield and and recognizing that without people. We won't continue to grow the, the as business, a nation. The, the, the model of the economy is built on population growth. It absolutely is, right? So, and that new wave of migration. Okay, so you know, my parents uh, when they migrated in the in the sixties, you know, there were a lot of European migrants, right? That that was the reality. Now we've clearly got a lot of Indian and Bangladeshi um, people coming across to work for us as well. With the recent challenges around COVID, we, we've had challenges for our poor people, right? So they're out on sites and being victimized in some cases, right? Mm. That is a challenge for us. And as an industry, it's come up at our industry forum as well is how do we protect our people? How do we actually create a greater tolerance for, for what's happening? They're here trying to do what they can to earn a living, to feed their families, just like Correct. we did 30 or 40 sure. years ago, just as we all do every single day. So I think our challenge is about how do we open up our borders? 
um, how do we actually attract people to come back into Australia and New Zealand? So mm-hmm. I keep talking about New Zealand, but they've, they've frighteningly, it's a direct parallel what's happening between the yeah. two countries at the moment. Yeah, both both success stories, but have the equal challenge of yeah. reopening how that. Yeah, yeah, and this is the danger, right? You can't you can't stand still. So we have done an outstanding job, and you know, hats off uh, to to both PMs. They've done a very very good job in in managing the crisis, in managing the risks. Um, but now it's about what is an acceptable risk and how do we actually extend that so we can actually start bringing people back in. George, one one question for you and tying with what you were saying there, in attracting people to construction materials and, and, and our sort of industry as well, we've got a bit of a theory that's saying that it's just not seen as, compared to so many other businesses, not, I'll say, sexy. It's yeah, we'll use the same term. I think you know we're working our way through that, but I think the broader industry's got to work on a bit together to say, look, this is a damn attractive sort of thing to do. You are outside, you do mix with real people, all the things we've talked about. Have you guys got any views on how you know yeah. we move forward together on those? Sorts look, of things? we're doing it a lot in that space. Uh, have done historically as well, um, but we're really building on it in recent history. So we've got our internal diversity and inclusion committee, and it's about changing the way that we advertise. So historically we advertise looking for experience. Mm. Well, if you're looking for experience, you're going to get another bloke to drive another truck or operate at a quarry. And we want more than that. I'm a big fan of, I want to surround my boardroom table. I want to surround my business with people of different backgrounds, different mindsets, sexual orientation, male, female, whatever it may be, because it brings a diversity in thought as well. And I think for us to grow as a business, we need to have that. So we're really targeting that in terms of the way that we um, portray our organization, advertise what we're doing as an organization. So in various social media forums, so that's probably why I talked about Instagram before, but whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, website forums, everything we're doing now, we're changing that mindset. So it's not pictures of trucks and quarries, it's pictures of people and diverse people. You've got to humanize your business. You have to. In your marketing. You have to. And I said, when I first started in the industry, the first week or two, I wasn't so sure that it was for me. And then as I got more and more involved and spent more and more time with people, I'm thinking, geez, this is actually pretty bloody good. And again, somebody that I work with said, he goes, you make it past the first year, you've got to be careful. It's a life sentence, right? In a good way. Once it gets in your blood, you will not leave, right? And and it's so true. I've worked for now, you know, three companies. I, I honestly thought I was only ever going to work for the one organization mm-hmm. because it was a great company to work for. Um, but it's a great industry to work in, right? So I, I don't actually think it matters too much what color truck or what brand it is. The industry as a whole, and we need to differentiate ourselves as wholesome that we want to attract those people to work for us. Um, because it is a great industry to work in. It is so dynamic. You know, we're really agile. We're doing different things. No two days are the same. And you know what? If if you like working with people, there's no better place to be. Right? You you really have an opportunity to talk from, to people from all walks of life. We often threaten to write a book about all our stories. I know that all my friends and family are sick of me telling them stories about what happened at work yesterday yeah. and the day before. But you know what? That's we, what it's we all get about. the same as we, well. Graham yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, we get told off. Stop talking about work. We're yeah. just. I went around a few sites yesterday, and I came back, and you know, I'm I'm beaming just from interactions yeah. with our people and people around that sorts of thing, and real life stories that, um, you know, they make the the slight um, downside just pale into insignificance. Puts it into perspective, right? Yeah. It really does, and and I think that's the danger. Is we can feel really important sitting behind our desk in an office, and and you know, you're firing away emails and doing all this work, and you feel as though you're being productive, but 
you know, get on the road a bit, go out and see your sites. I was at Tamworth earlier this yep. week. Awesome. You know, I was in Townsville last week visiting our Humes facility up there and, and our concrete and quarry products up there and talking to the people on site. They're the people that actually are our organisation. They're the ones that make things happen, right? Not us sitting in a corporate environment. Definitely not. It's no, not us doing the work. We're no. just thinking about things. We're not actually doing anything. We're a cough centre, right? <laughs> we are a cough centre. All right. We've got to put it into perspective. I'd better go and do some work. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you've, you've spoken very wisely today, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate great. it. Thank you for coming to see us. My abs- yeah, yeah, absolute giving pleasure. Giving us your valuable time. It's been a great chat. Excellent. No, thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Right, that's great. That's good. Mike, thanks for getting things organised. Let's see if we can do another. You have delivered as promised, so well done. Thanks for listening into our podcast. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe or hit us up on LinkedIn.